Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say yes! Please stop! I got a bad feeling about this. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Did you go out with Ray? Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Get away from her, you bitch! You're gonna need a bigger boat. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Movie Nights Podcast. I'm Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And here we go again. Just to let you guys know, it's probably going to be a bit of a longer episode. Just by based on the topics we have, and, you know, I just have a feeling we're going to talk for a lot this time. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and get things started off, except we're going to start with box office this time. And let's just go ahead and take a look at the charts for last weekend. Coming in at number one was Hotel Transylvania 3, making around $44 million. Coming in at number two was Ant-Man and the Wasp, taking in another $29 million. Number three opening in its opening weekend was Skyscraper at $24, almost $25 million. Uh, Coming in at number four was Incredibles 2, about 16.2, and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at number five with 16.1. So we were right last week that Incredibles 2 did go above Jurassic World this time. It's got some good legs, that movie. Uh, There's a lot of things to take away from the box office this weekend. What's the number one takeaway for you? Honestly, I'm a little surprised to see Hotel Transylvania on top, uh, but it also makes sense because it is a kid's movie, and... I feel like kids' movies this year have been doing really well. And also, Skyscraper opening up at almost $25 million. I think that's pretty surprising to me. What about you? Uh, it's surprisingly unfortunate, the Skyscraper news, because that movie's budget is $125 million. And I don't know, for sure domestically, I don't know about worldwide, but domestically it's not gonna, it is not going to make that money back. That is a what we call a flop here in america i mean unless it has great legs but with all the stuff coming out soon i i don't see that happening um another surprising takeaway is ant-man and the wasp dropped about 62 percent from last week now normally an average drop is about 55 57 percent so 62 isn't too much of a drop that's like oh man this is bad and, and it's made plenty of money and domestically already and it's gonna open up after the world cup overseas and make more money but Still, I think Disney is looking at 62% going, oh, well, that's we didn't expect that low of a drop. And, you know, and then, like I said, it's not like alarming news, like, you know, I'm not, like, Marvel's in trouble. Like, no, it's like nothing like that. But it's just, it, it was just, it was eye-opening. Just like, oh, wow. Because it's, it's a good movie. It was very entertaining. And I didn't expect it to take this much of a drop. Do you have anything to say about that? Uh, I would agree that Marvel, it, uh, they shouldn't freak out about it, but... Also, I think it's kind of expected that like an Ant-Man movie would drop that much. I mean, they opened up with amazing numbers, so I don't think that they're scared or have anything to worry about because it just shows, like we talked about before, that every Marvel movie movie that they opened up with opened number one at the box office. So I think that they're just going to take it as, oh, an Ant-Man movie, it's typical that it's going to drop that much because I'm not sure how much the first one dropped, but... This one has made much more money than the first one already. Oh, yeah. That, that's very true in terms of its opening numbers, and it's tracking to make a whole lot more than the original movie did. And, yeah, like you know, like I said, I, I don't think they're in any trouble. I just still think it was sort of like it's, it's nothing to ignore at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think that um, 
that's really interesting. Um, also, like we mentioned, Incredibles 2, again, just climbing over Jurassic World, staying in the top five box office. It's had incredible legs, pun intended. And I think that there's a couple of take. We usually be focused on the top five, but something else I want to do is like First Purge comes in at number six, and it's been consistently at that number for a movie that's made for only $13 million. Its total gross in the, it's in the U.S. is almost at $50 million. You know, because Jason Blum is a genius, and yeah. we, you know we've talked about this before. Cheap but thrills. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's 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 amazing that the work that that guy's doing with his films, especially now that he's getting into more like Oscar caliber movies. Like I think he's also a producer on Black Klansman coming up. Really? Yeah. Which also which is a movie that looks very good. Yeah, I'm excited for that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Also, a bit of movie news that I kind of just remembered now is uh just today. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but we're recording this on. Tuesday the 17th and just today they released a new trailer for Bohemian Rhapsody really yes which you know we'll we'll watch as soon as we're done recording but um it's very similar to the first trailer except it gives a little bit more insight there is a vague vague reference to the fact that you know Freddie Mercury was diagnosed with HIV AIDS and how that affected him it's very it's a brief line but it's a good line um it talks about um how they need to change up their music to stay relevant to stay unique and talks about, and you see some origins of how some of their songs got started. And it's a really interesting trailer, and I think it's going to be a great movie. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm excited for the music because I love Queen's music, and I feel like everyone at least knows the basis of the story of Freddie Mercury. But I'm really excited for the music and how it's going to look on screen. Yeah, me too. And uh, something that um, now we're going to go ahead and go right into some of the movie news that happened last week. Um, something that I found very, very interesting, which you actually don't know about. And the reason is because I wanted to keep it from you because I wanted to hear your opinion on this. Because when I found out, I was like, wow, this is very, very interesting. So I want to, I want to get your reaction on this story. Okay. Okay. This comes from the Hollywood reporter, a Chinese production company. Um, has been producing or produced its first hundred million dollar movie okay. on its own. Like usually like they'll have co-productions with America that are a lot more expensive, but it's full out on its own hundred million dollar movie. It's a movie called Asura. And it was, you know, promoted and marketed as like the biggest budget Chinese film ever made. And like, it's going to be like a big deal. And like everyone was excited for it after its opening weekend. It, uh, it got pulled from theaters after its first opening week. Yeah. Really? Would you like to know why? Why? Guess how much money it made in its opening weekend. You said its budget was $100 million? $100 million. If it got pulled, I would have to say... I mean, this. I feel like this is going to be a really low number, but I'm just going to spitball uh, 20000 maybe 50000 no, if it got pulled. That's, that's No, that's, that's a really low, but... Uh... Seven point one million. Really? Seven million dollars. It's opening weekend. For a hundred million million dollar movie. And it has been officially pulled from cinemas in China. Because they don't think it's gonna make any more than that. That is terrible. that's (laughs) I mean, that's almost as embarrassing as my guess. Yeah, like it's I I feel so bad for everyone involved with the film, but like it like there's a whole report going on like what could have caused it but basically just people weren't interested in going to see it and it's 
debuted to 7.1 It opened million. here in the U.S.? No, 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 in China. Or just in Ch- Okay, just in China? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and was, like, there's no way it's going to open in the U.S. now. What was the genre? Was it, like, action, sci-fi? Like I, wa- I want to say it was, like, action fantasy-ish. Okay. But I'm not entirely sure. I didn't look at the entire story, but it's just... That's brutal, man. Like, yeah. we, we thought Skyscraper had it rough. Like, this is just really, really awful. That's terrible. I I don't even know what to say. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not not a good day for the people who made that unfortunate film. But uh, something else we're going to get into is um, a bit of Marvel news. Um, something that's been in talks for a really, really long time has been a standalone Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. And that has been something that conversation sort of happened like after the first Avengers like hey Black Widow never got a movie interesting and then it kept coming up kept coming up and then especially recently with the amazing kick-ass female characters Marvel's been you know showing in their films especially through, through Black Panther people are like all right wh- where is this Black Widow movie and over the course of time Marvel hired some writers they you know trying to like see what would go on but nothing's ever been officially greenlit well recently and this comes from Hollywood Reporter Variety, all the major news outlets. Kate Shortland, who is a female director, has been hired to be a director on a standalone Black Widow movie. Now, I would like to point out, this does not mean that the movie's been officially greenlit, because it hasn't. Many movies reach this stage, and then they still never happen. But this is the last stage that you need to reach before your movie gets greenlit. So what I'm asking, do you think... Soon, like within the next couple of months, Marvel will officially announce that there will be a Black Widow movie, or do you think this project won't happen? I think it has a really good chance of being greenlit, and the reason why I say that is because of the success of Wonder Woman and what Patty Jenkins is doing with that. Because, like you said, there was never really like a solo female lead in a Marvel movie, and with the success of Wonder Woman, and they're making a second one... Uh, that comes out next year. I feel like that this has a really good chance of being greenlit, and honestly, like I'm excited for it because I really like Black Widow as a character. So I'm really excited to see what her story is and how they uh, get into that, and who all is going to be involved with her story. Because I think rumor has it that Bucky's going to be in it. Yeah, it's been like a rumor. Rumor, yeah. But like you said, it's it hasn't been greenlit. It hasn't been officially announced that they're going to make it. They're just talking about it. But I think it has a really good chance, and I'm excited to see what they do with her story because I'm just a casual fan, so I don't know much about her other than what they've showed us on screen. Mm-hmm. So I, I really want to see what her story is and how she gets involved with S.H.I.E.L.D. and all the other superheroes and just what she has to offer on screen. What about you? What's your thoughts on it? Well, I think the initial response Marvel's going to have to Wonder Woman is Captain Marvel coming out in February. Okay. And I think that um, that movie is going to sort of be like, and I don't even think it's a response. I think that they had always planned doing Captain Marvel. I, but I'm glad that Marvel, unlike you know Warner Brothers, they're not reactionary. They took their time. Like they're like, all right, cool, Wonder Woman's out, but they they didn't like jump on it and try to make it right now. We have to have the female. You know, they took their time. They let it happen. They let it work. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that they did that with Captain Marvel. But in terms of Black Widow, uh, I think the chances of this movie happening have been increasing as the days go by. Nothing has happened that decreases movie's chances of happening. And honestly, I kind of hope it happens, especially if it's a prequel. That would be 
really cool. Except I hope that if it's a prequel, there's like some sort of modern tie that it has to sort of give it a, like, justifies it its existence, sort of. Like a prequel, like uh, Captain Marvel, how it takes place like well before all these yeah. other movies? Okay. Yeah, kind of like, like basically like have her when she was in Russia growing up and then her just as a young assassin maybe have some flat like scenes taking place now and like flashback and forth. I think that'd be really interesting. Mm-hmm. So she throw my man Hawkeye in there. I don't like him being shortchanged, but, yeah. uh, but I think, um, I think it's a really interesting idea and I, I'm glad that they're taking enough steps to like, you know what, this could be a good idea. Let's hire a director. Let's see what we can do. Let's see what they start up in pre-production. And if we like it, we're going to green light the movie. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised. Cause like they have dates picked out in the future that for things that aren't titled, but just like, I think for the next 10 years, they have something planned every probably, year. Yeah, pro- probably. And I think, don't be surprised if they announce that one of those dates is going to be a black widow movie. I think that that could very well happen. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up, that you'd like to see Hawkeye in it because every time they're on screen together, they always talk about their history. Mm-hmm. Something's always brought up about their past. So it would be neat to see one of those things be brought up on screen as like, like you said, like a prequel movie and we see them. Cause I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Hawkeye was hired to go kill her. Yeah. I think that's what they said. Yeah. So like what happens with that would be really awesome to see like yeah. them just, fighting and going at it mm-hmm. yeah no I, I think that'd be really interesting and um especially um with a, a great actress like scarlett johansson who's been playing the character for a long time you know she would know exactly you know how to help out the production exactly if there's someone on production who's having a hard time just understanding the character i think scarlett's the perfect person to make sure that everything goes right with the decisions that are being made about the character and i think that um i think it'd be a good idea do you think she'd have some creative control over that? Is it like is that what you're saying, or do you think that Marvel is just going to be like, no, we know the character? And no, just... well, I mean, I'm sure she would have something. Yeah. Like, I don't think it would be too much. Yeah. Like, because you know, Marvel learned their lesson with trying to give people creative control with Ed Norton and all that whole situation on Incredible Hulk. But yeah. I think that, but of course, you know, Scott Johansson's not as batshit crazy as Ed Norton is. So at, yeah. the, at the same time, it's it's you know, it's a completely different scenario. But I, I think that they'll, they'll have they'll she'll have some sort of input for sure. Okay. But I, I, I mean, hey, she runs a production company, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I mean, I, it just, it all depends, mm-hmm. you know. And, and and who knows, that could be something that could prevent the movie from getting made, if like she wants more creative control and they're not willing to do it. I mean, who knows, really? Yeah. It's all going to be, just about how, that goes down. I'm sorry if my phone keeps going off. I'm going to put it on the floor. But uh. Now another story that we want to talk about, and I think this one will take up, a decent chunk of time is recent news has come out. Well, it's a whole cycle of stories. A couple weeks ago, it was announced that, speaking of Scarlett Johansson, that she was going to star in a movie called Rub and Tug, which is the true life story about a transgendered crime lord. And I forget the person's name, but they pretty much ran in like an amazing ring of crime. And just, it was an incredible story. And Scarlett Johansson was going to play the lead role. And the... Um, character she'd be portraying, the real-life person, was born a male, identified as a female. And a lot of backlash was met when she took the role. And it didn't help that just a few years ago she was met with backlash over Ghost in the Shell. And, you know, a lot of people said some things about her, sort of blaming her for taking the role, sort of blaming the production company for allowing it to happen. And it has been announced that she has dropped out of the role. 
which, you know, we're just going to get into as to what we think of the scenario, but I'm very disappointed to hear that because it's very clear that she was sort of bullied out of it. And, you know, I, I think that people, I'm going to go ahead and just give my position on this. I think that people don't realize that if they want more stories like the struggles of a transgender person, especially one that had like a huge, like not following, but like it has a really important story. If they want stories like that to be told, then it's important to have an actor in the mainstream willing to go to that, like out of their comfort zone and play that role and bring those stories to light. Because a lot of the transgender movies you look at, like Eddie Redmayne was in The Danish Girl. A movie made, I think, $11 million. That movie doesn't make half that money without Eddie Redmayne in it. Dallas Buyers Club had Jared Leto playing a transgender person, and Matthew McConaughey was in it. And it made like 20, I think almost 30, I want to say. movie doesn't make half the amount of money without those guys in it. And it, it sucks because... They, and, and they mean well. Like, I'm not attacking anybody because I, I understand, like, the initial gut reaction of, like, oh, I think a transgendered actor should have gotten that opportunity. Like, I get that. But what they don't realize is now Hollywood is going to be so touchy on making projects like this because they're not going to have a bankable star in that role. And people won't go see it without those stars. Like, you know, going back to um, when people were seeking more gay, gay and lesbian representation onto the screen, Brokeback Mountain, Heath Ledger, Jake Gyllenhaal, two powerhouse actors who are straight men who brought a lot of attention to that movie, got a lot of Academy Award recognition. And, like, that movie made it possible for movies like Love, Simon today to be made because they were able to take such serious subject matter, give it to two powerhouse actors, and people were more open to seeing it, more comfortable to going to watch them mm-hmm. because of who was in it. And I think that Scarlett Johansson, when she took this role, she felt very proud and she wanted to show the representation. She wanted to go as an actress, take on the responsibility of doing something so incredible to help bring light to the struggles of that of a person who's transgender living today and all she got instead was backlash and all she got was people telling her that what she did what she's doing horrible and that she's taking rules away from transgender people and i think it really shocked her and i think that it's it's just an all unfortunate misunderstanding of you know actors are actors they're hired to do things that they wouldn't normally otherwise do and a lot of them are trained and they like to challenge themselves to go outside their comfort zone, to go do that crazy thing that most people would not even want to even think about pretending doing. And I think with an actor who, like an actress like Scarlett Johansson, who's not only very talented, but very bankable, I think a huge opportunity is being missed. And I'm really, it's unfortunate. Like, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the movie even happens now. And it's saddening. Really, because I think that she would have done great things in that role. And look, and I'm not saying they can't cast someone who is transgender and that they wouldn't knock it out of the park. Where I'm worried about is how much money that movie is going to make and the conversation that it could, that it could potentially start and have is no longer going to happen without a bankable star. I mean, yes, it's gotten some press attention because of this, but the average movie-going audience is not going to go because there's no one in it. And Star Power, you could make the argument that Star Power is mostly dead for the most part. 
but if you but in in the time of subscription movie plans and in a time where people are more people are going to the movies this year than they have the past couple of years that could be a contributing factor in going to see a movie and now that factor is gone and i think it's just a really unfortunate scenario what do you have to say i think it's a shame that she got bullied out of it like you said uh, I feel like there's a lot of that going on right now in Hollywood, and this is no exception. I don't understand why she would be bullied. I mean, I, I get it that, like you said, some people want an actual transgendered person in that role. It makes perfect sense. But Scarlett Johansson is an actress. She's an artist. I feel like she could have brought a lot of attention to the topic with her playing in it and like you said that star power that she could bring to it she could really put this topic of transgendered people into the light mm-hmm. and make it more of a like household topic mm-hmm. bringing like just so people more people are aware of it mm-hmm. and it's a shame that she just was pushed out of it because of all the backlash and people were upset that she took on the role because she is not transgendered. She is a female, a straight female. So, and like you said, with Brokeback Mountain with two powerhouses in that movie who are both straight, who played gay men, it was able to make years later for Hollywood to make gay movies and really bring light to a topic otherwise that wouldn't have been relevant nowadays, which we all have to agree that we are glad that they made those movies years ago. That way we could talk about it now and be open about it. It really helps a lot. And if she were to play in this, uh, and like you said, we're not saying that a transgendered person wouldn't do good. We, We would like to see this movie do good, that way, years later, this, or hopefully not years, but I'm just using Brokeback Mountain as an example, but we would be able to talk about this more openly and be more, and the average person would be more accepting of this. And it, it, it's a shame that such a talented artist and actress like Scarlett Johansson was bullied out of a role because of who she is, essentially. And... I mean, that that's what actors and actresses do in Hollywood. They play something that they're not. And it's, it's almost heartbreaking that someone that a lot of people look up to was just forced out of a job, forced out of a role that she could have helped, that she was just forced out, and she, she could have helped that movie make a lot of money like you said and not only is it a money thing but it it brings a lot of light and i just it's it's a shame and it's heartbreaking for her and it's it's just a shame yeah and and, you know and and also like i don't think this movie was ever going to make like you know hundreds of millions of dollars or anything but i'm just worried that the success of this movie is not going to be because you need a movie like this to be successful. You need people. You need people who wouldn't otherwise go see a movie like this to go see a movie like this. If you really want to get these stories out there, and I think without Scarlett Johansson, that's been killed. 
And I would love to be proven wrong about that. I would love to be proven wrong. Yes. But I just think it's really unfortunate that that will most likely not happen. But yeah. So that was one of the more realer things we tackled on the Movie Nights podcast. Yeah. But uh, we're going to go ahead and move on to things that aren't as depressing. Uh, last week we did a spoiler-free review for Ant-Man and the Wasp. But this time we're going to go full spoilers for you guys. So, uh, you know, you've heard our basic opinions about the movie. Uh, I am going to go ahead and just like, okay, spoiler warning. If you have not seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. It's been it's been real. It's been fun, but I can't say it's been real fun. Uh, of course, I'm joking. But uh, Amen to the Wasp. Um, let's jump right into the huge spoilery shit. Oh my God, the mid credit scene. Ant Man stuck in the quantum realm, and both Hank, Janet, and Hope have all been fucking dusted. What the hell is Avengers Four gonna be like even now? I I don't even know. Like I I, which is funny because after Infinity War, we're like. Whoa what's going to happen and then after this it just continues to roll our heads like what does marvel have planned what are they up to and there's been a lot of set photos leaked recently with um paul rudd uh, scott lang and the battle of new york mm-hmm. scene from the first avengers well we assume it's the battle of new york mm-hmm. and it's interesting because that means that he would have to time travel there because there's also been reports of Loki having a bigger role or a, a big role in Infinity War Part 2. So it's going to be interesting on how he figures out how to time travel because in the, the first Ant-Man, they talk about how uh, the original Wasp, Michelle Pfeiffer's character, went subatomic went to the quantum realm, got stuck. This movie... Well, no, sorry. Back to the first movie. Ant-Man shrinks down to the quantum realm, but he's able to come back out of it. However, in the Ant-Man and the Wasp, they have to go to the quantum realm to pick up Michelle Pfeiffer's wasp and bring her back. So it's interesting on how he's going to be stuck there, time travel, without growing large like he did in the first movie so i i don't know how they're going to play it out obviously they have something planned otherwise they wouldn't do such they wouldn't take on such a uh cliffhanger Mm -hmm. but it's it has me on my edge the edge of my seat to see what they're going to do with it uh what do you think about the scene um, and you know, and it's crazy because that's just assuming that it's time travel. Yeah, of course. And and like, and but here's the thing: I think it is too. But watch, we're gonna five minutes into Avengers four, and it's not gonna be fucking time travel at all, and we're gonna look like jackasses. Well, uh, so I don't mean to cut you off, but it's funny because we talk about time travel like it's gonna happen. But if you look at the set photos, I don't know if they're gonna de-age Robert Downey Jr., but he looks like he does now, a, a little yeah, bit older. Yeah. So if they do time travel, they uh, they have to de-age him. Yeah. And. It's interesting on how they're going to... If they're going to do yeah. that. And, and like you said, it could open up and not be time travel and we're all like, what the hell is going to happen? Yeah, but yeah and, and it's and it's crazy. But And the funny thing is, because like, I, I was very skeptical about time travel. The thing that made me think it was time travel was in Ant-Man of the Wasp. There's a throwaway line, blink and you'll miss it, in the mid credit scene when they send Ant-Man into the quantum realm 
Michelle Pfeiffer says, oh, don't get caught in a time vortex. Like, says it like it's nothing. And I was like, oh, wait, what, that? And then, like, I started thinking about the set photos, and I was like, oh, my God, maybe it is time travel. But, like, I, I, like, again, who knows? Yeah. And, you know, we could talk Avengers 4 theories all day long. But another thing I wanted to bring up, spoilery about Ant-Man and the Wasp, was the ghost character. Because I think the ghost is a great character, but just not an amazing villain. But I loved her backstory about how her father worked with Hank Pym. Hank Pym was an asshole and fired her father, discredited him. And when he tried to prove himself, there was an accident in the laboratory and it affected ghosts. And she's been in pain her entire life. And I, I, I thought that that was really interesting. What did you think about that aspect of the character? I really liked the character. I thought that that was really cool Cool to see that interest or that personal connection she had with Hank Pym and why she was so out to get him and his technology. But I just feel like they had a lot going on with both that storyline, the Walter Goggins storyline, the FBI storyline, and finding Michelle Pfeiffer. That is four different storylines that they're cramming into one movie. I feel like they're taking on a lot. But of all those, I would have to say that's probably the best storyline that they went with that movie. Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to cut you off, but I I wish that could have been its own movie. Yeah. And, and that's the only thing that really upsets me, because like, that's such a fascinating story. And, you know, I wish that this, this movie, or just like this movie could have been just about Michelle Pfeiffer and the other one be about ghosts. But, like, I, I have a problem with this, the same, similar problem I have with the second season of the Daredevil Marvel Netflix television series. And that's, for four episodes, we got The Punisher and Daredevil clashing ideologically clashing physically and you're like oh my god this is the best season of television i've ever seen and then punisher goes to the hospital and then Electra comes in and you're like oh cool and then you're like all right Electra stuff's pretty cool you're like all right i guess this is this is pretty cool too and then punisher comes back at the end and Electra takes the side step you're like why can't i wish they would have just focused on one thing and you know it's different when you have 13 hours even to play with different storylines like that but you know this was just one movie and I felt like Walton Goggins, while the performance was really good, I didn't like the character, and I felt that his character was literally written into the script just to give them a chase scene towards the end of the movie. And um, I feel like, just in terms of, like I said, in terms of spoilers, I would have liked to see more about Hank Pym and Lawrence and the character Goliath's um, relationship, because they, they talked about how they worked together in the past, but they didn't really like each other. I was really interested in that, and then they kind of didn't go into it much. Mm-hmm. But I wish we would have got some more of that, too. Yeah, because at the end of the movie, he, like, turns and he's like, yeah, like, let's help out your wife, and then you can help me out. Like, yeah. why was he so quick to help him out mm-hmm. if the whole movie you're led to believe that they don't like each other, they yeah. hate each other? Yeah. So they just had a lot going on, and if they were to focus on... Because if they were able to focus on Ghost, they were also able to focus on Goliath. Like, I feel like those could have gone hand in hand on how they well i guess they did talk about how they met mm-hmm. but they could have dabbled more into their relationship mm-hmm. and then that would bring more character emphasis on goliath and his relationship with hank pym as well as ghost's relationship with hank pym yeah, exactly and and something else um i think i'm glad that we're, we're probably going to see more of ghost and goliath because they may they both make it out alive yeah and I, I'm interested to see the direction those characters go in. Because mm-hmm. it, it looks like they're going to set them up to be protagonists. But, I mean, who, who knows? Um, you know, all I hope is that while I want to see those characters again, I hope that they just don't distract a great storyline in a future movie. 
One thing that has me a little confused about it, though, is they say that Ghost was used as an assassin for S.H.I.E.L.D. Are there... Are they going to bring that up in the future? Yeah, because, like... Because they did the same thing with Winter Soldier. Except in Winter Soldier, you had Scarlett Johansson there to say, "Oh yeah, no, I remember him." Like she lifts up her shirt and she's like, "She gave me, he gave me the scar." And you buy the fact that, like, all right, this character's been here the whole time. With Ghost, I didn't really buy it. I was like, "There's been a Shield assassin for years, and like this is the first time I'm hearing about her." Yeah. You know, now the only Shield assassin that we knew about was Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, and you know, and, like on the for Hydra, like the Winter Soldier and stuff. Yeah, and and also. What would be cool is if, like, going back to the Black Widow movie, if Ghost showed up, that'd be pretty bitchin'. Yeah, especially if it's a prequel, because yeah. we'll, at that time, they both would have been working for S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. and to see their uh, paths cross, and yeah, that'd be pretty interesting to see, and then you throw in Winter Soldier mm-hmm. a few years later, and all that, but that'd be cool to see Ghost show up in that movie. Yeah, yeah, it'd be really cool. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and move on to our last thing we want to talk about. And uh, this is an older movie, so we're going to... Well, not older, but, like, it's been out for a little bit, but we just got the chance to see it. And we're going to spoil the shit out of it. It's called Tag. Um, again, spoiler warning for Tag if you haven't seen it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. But if you have and you want to have us talk to it, I really enjoyed this movie. It was really fucking funny, and it had a lot of heart to it. Yeah, it has to be one of the... I feel like one of the better movies this year, and hands down probably the best comedy film of the year. I was really surprised to see Jeremy Renner in a comedic role. That blew me away. He was the whole movie was funny through the or the, the movie was funny from start to finish, mm-hmm. and it was really cool to see Jeremy Renner play a comedic role because watching Wind River, he plays a very serious role. In Avengers, he plays. Not a serious role, per se, but a comic book hero. But he was really funny, and I really enjoyed watching his performance. What about you? No, I agree. Um, And also just the interesting thing about, like, he broke his arms, like, three days into filming, and they painted his cast green, so, like, his arms are practically CGI the whole movie, and you can't even tell. Yeah. And uh, just his, his performance was hilarious. Um, they have, like, if you're a fan of the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes films, they have, like, the Sherlock Holmes-style fight scenes where he predicts the moves, and but they used it comedically, and it was so funny. It really worked. Yeah. And Hannibal Buress was hilarious, and John Hamm, Ed Helms, everyone was really, really funny in the movie. Um, the movie has a lot of action in it, which was, and that's, like, well choreographed, which was very surprising. Um, the, the only movie's downfall is, like, the clashing of the tones gets a bit, like, heavy and out of nowhere. And especially like with like when you realize what's going on in the film, it really felt undeserved. And I well, we're spoiler review when it come when it comes up and like Ed Helms is like, oh, I'm dying, haha, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and I'm like, oh, I'm, no, like I like, I didn't I, like I was like okay, that was really random and I didn't need this. Yeah. The the only inter- interesting thing that came out of that is that he lied about Jeremy Renner quitting. But like yeah. I, I was like, they couldn't have hinted at this. I mean maybe they did and I just didn't catch it. I have to watch it again. But from but usually you think back at it, you're like, oh, yeah, they did hint it. And the only thing they hint about it is that he's really obsessed with tagging Jeremy Renner. But, like, that, I didn't feel like that was a good reason to justify it. Like, oh, he's very sick at the end of it. Yeah. That's interesting, because I thought that that was a really, like, heartwarming... I mean, I don't know the true story of tag, so I don't know if one of them actually had cancer. And if one of them does, hopefully, like, he's okay. But, like I said, I, I don't know the true story, other than there's ten of them instead of five. 
But I really thought that that was a heartwarming ending to that movie because you're the whole movie you're led to believe that Jeremy Renner is going to quit because he's getting married. Like they keep talking about it. And then you find out, no, he just wanted to play one last game of tag with his friends. And I was like, that's really heartwarming and like sweet almost. And one scene I really want to talk about is when they're in the mall. Oh my God. And Ed Helms, is hell-bent on trying to tag Jeremy Renner in the middle of the mall. That scene, hands down, has to be the best scene in that entire movie. That that was hilarious. I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. Yeah. I... and, And what's funny is at the end of the movie, while the credits are playing, they show... Some of the original clips yeah, like that the, these the real guys, the yeah. real guys playing tag because they record themselves, and it's just and the costume that Ed Helms uses the the grandma costume he uses is the real costume that one of the guys used although it wasn't in a mall it was in a parking lot it looked like but still that scene was hilarious. Yeah, no, it was really funny, and uh, Jake Johnson also did really well. I forgot to mention him. But, uh, but yeah, oh, and uh, you know who else kind of stole the movie from me was Isla Fisher. She was so really? funny. Dude, she was crazy, and we haven't really seen her like that since Wedding Crashers because yeah. she, she was one of my favorite parts about Wedding Crashers, and, and, like, and I didn't like keeping up with the Joneses that she was in. Mm-hmm. But her in this movie, she was fucking really funny, and like I was really like genuinely surprised in a good way by her performance. And I think that um, another thing to mention about the movie is that there's not many comedies anymore go for like that joke that's like oh man they went for that joke and there's a lot of dark humor in it yeah like and it's i was like i i love dark humor and i was so genuinely happy because there's a whole bit about a miscarriage in the movie that gets really dark and i was like i can't believe i'm watching a movie that's finally like doing this again because there's something about being told like oh you can't joke about this that when you do it, it's just so much better. Mm-hmm. And that whole bit, I was in almost in tears laughing so hard. I mean, whenever it was first brought up, I was like, oh my God, like this is real. And then you get to the wedding scene and she's like, oh, hey guys, I'm yeah. drinking. Yeah. Like, let's have fun. And they're like, wait, you're not pregnant? And the Jake Johnson character is like, yes, I knew it. I knew she was. I knew it was a fake. Like, we should have tagged him right there. No, no, no. When, when he goes, look, I'm not saying that if you have a kid, you deserve to have a miscarriage. Yes. But like that whole thing, I was like, oh my God. That is so dark and no other movie in recent years, I feel like, has, at least no movies I've seen do that. And... They were able to pull it off so well without it being like, oh my gosh, like they're making fun of like miscarriages. Like it's not that. They just were able to pull it off differently, if that makes sense. And it worked so well for the movie. And I will say, while I thoroughly enjoyed this comedy, I think it's my second favorite comedy of the year. I think my number one is Game Night. I thought Game Night was very surprising and it was super funny. Because when I saw the trailers for Game Night, I was like, ah, this looks okay. But then when I watched it, I was like, oh my god, this movie is hilarious. That was ri- that was a funny movie as well, yeah. yeah. And then, um, just now they're on the, just talking about comedies this year. I thought Blockers was okay. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people give it more credit than it deserves. But I thought it was okay. I wish I would have focused more on the teens and the parents. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> and this isn't necessarily a good movie. But if you just want to talk about a movie where I was like, I couldn't stop laughing the moment it stopped, the moment it finished, like Super Troopers 2 was just so yes. unbelievably funny. That opening scene, I'm um, forgetting his name. Sean William Scott? Yeah, Sean William Scott. That opening scene with him 
was so funny, and it was a callback to Dukes of Hazard. I don't know if you've seen that, mm-hmm. but in Dukes of Hazard, the original superhero, uh, Super Troopers pulls them over, Rabbit and um, Thorny. They pull over Johnny Knoxville, and yeah. and they're, they do the whole bit of, do you know how fast you were going? So it was really awesome to see him come back as a trooper pulling over the yeah. Super Troopers, yeah. and it's like true perception, yeah. if you will. <laughs> and it, that opening scene just had me rolling. Yeah, no, uh, it was really funny. Uh, whenever Farva comes to the, to the cabin, and now we're just spoiling it, but I don't care. When Farva comes to the cabin and he's like, Pele, and kicks the soccer ball <laughs> and hits the guy right in the face. Or when he's like, I hit a moose and do a 90, vaporized the biatch. <laughs> like, like I-, I love dumb guy humor learn like that. Learn the words, learn the words. <laughs> And it was so funny, and like it's been a it's been a good year for comedies, man. It has, like, and, I, yeah. I, and I'm glad. I ho- hopefully some more get cranked out that I really enjoy. Yeah, I. Yeah, going back to game night. I mean, I, like we've talked about before, I'm a huge Tarantino fan, and I. I, I, I know where you're going with this. One scene that really stands out to me is when Rachel McAdams is in the bar, and you know they think they're whole, they're a part of it, and whenever she did the whole Pulp Fiction. Uh, line of where Honey Bun and uh, Tim Roth are in the restaurant. I I was rolling. I had to watch that scene a few times just because that was so funny and so unexpected. It was it was gold to me. But I, I it's interesting that you say that that have to be your first and because that that was a good movie. But I, I feel like it's not as good as Tag. Uh, yes, this is one of the moments where we agree to disagree. Yes. Dude, I can't wait for when we watch a movie where I really love it or you really hate it, yeah. or the, and then we can just go no, at it. Like, yeah. that'd be so much fun. And, like, that's why we really... Oh, by the way, announcement, Nick is going to be on the show next week. However, very exciting. unfortunately, Ryan can't be here because he'll be out of town. Mm-hmm. But Nick's going to be here, and for the probably the first half of the show, we're going to let him talk about whatever he wants because, yeah. And then, also, great news... Um, some of the movie nights got passes, Nick and I, to see Mission Impossible Fallout five days early. And we're going to have a review for you up on next Wednesday, so you can actually listen to our review before the movie comes out, which is very exciting. And with that news for next week, we're going to go ahead and wrap up today's episode. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. My name is Dalton Burdett. I'm Ryan Warner. And uh, you'll see me and Mr. Nicholas Arricchio next week.